Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Hello everybody and welcome to this, the latest edition of ESSR Feature here on Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. I'm your host this week, Stephen Wilson, and on this, the first show of February, we shall be talking about a company quite close to pretty much all of us, it's pretty much our local, if you want to use a pub phrase, uh, we shall be talking about the history of ICW, we shall be talking about the highs, the moments where they kind of became such a cult phenomenon, but to be neutral as we are, we're also going to talk about the other aspects of the company, the side of things people don't like, the recent years, the kind of all the other stuff, we'll be going through every single point, as much as we can anyway. And around about the next hour and a half, we're not going to go that deep dive. We do not have that much free time. But we're recording this on the Rumble Day, for God's sake. Uh, anyway, <laughs> before we get on to that, just the usual bit of housekeeping from myself. You can find us on all good social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Suplex Retweet. If this is the first show from us you're listening to, you can find all our content. We put out about at least three shows a week on this podcast platform. Just search for us on any of your choice. We're on them all. And of course, we're also on YouTube. We're putting a lot of content out on there, including Quiz Showdown. We had a new show out just that Sunday there, uh, a Royal Rumble quiz. We've got The Conspiracy Theory with David Campbell. And also with David Campbell, my God, he's on that YouTube channel a lot. Uh, we've also got the Book It series. The semi-finals of that are coming soon, featuring yours truly. You have to look forward to see that. Uh, I know MD who's seen my face knows that's a bit of a sight, but hey-ho, enough about that. Uh, let's meet today's panel. A uh, couple of weeks ago on a show, I introduced a brotherly duo who I compared to every crap uh, wrestling duo ever. However, on that same show, I compared this duo to the likes of the Usos. So anybody who's a fan of the Usos will think that's a great compliment. We've got Gary and Derek the Kerlihans here. <laughs> Hello. I'm, I'm a wee bit lost for words. I'm not quite sure how to respond to well, that. Well, it depends if you like the Usos, well, though, because the they were a bit boring. It, I, hang on a minute. I, I found the Usos a bit boring for a long time. Is that what you're getting at? I also compared this to Harlem Heat, which is rather that. Does that make you a sensational sherry then? No, I was like what the when Clarence Mason came in or something. I don't know. Clarence just to the Usos because I can be Roman Reigns. <laughs> <laughs> a junkie look Roman Reigns. <laughs> <laughs> a very fitting comment, Gary, on this show. Found it very well done. <laughs> also joining us, we've got uh, two of our panellists who have followed ICW pretty much since day one as H, if you want to use a new soul reference. <laughs> uh, first of all, we've got Chris Murray here with us. Chris, how you doing? Hi, Stephen. Thanks for having me on on this early Sunday morning. Yes, I know. Very, very early. But hey-ho, we do what we can. You know, it's not exactly... We've got a long day ahead of us this recording, but, you know, we do what we do. And we've also got, I think, one of the first times we've had on a show in a while, it's a pleasant, pleasant uh, surprise to get back on the show. Not a surprise, sorry, it's a really bad choice of words for me in this morning. <laughs> uh, we've got Stacey here. Stacey, how are you? Hi, Stephen. I'm glad to be back after my after my long holiday. I like how you said it was a surprise, Stephen. She was literally booked to be on the show. More of a surprise. What are you doing here, Stacey? <laughs> I'm, I'm going with this type of rumble theme this morning. I don't know. Surprise, 
surprise entrance, even though they've been booked for six months to be on the show. I don't know. What a panel for my for my first show back as well. I know, I know. And so we are going to go into details on some of the history of ICW. Uh, Stacey, I will start with you. Uh, uh, ICW started in 2006, 15 years now to this year, which feels absolutely crazy. Uh, running, sh- running shows in Mary Hill for God knows how long. It just feels it's what a weird start they had if you consider the journey they've been on since. Yeah, it's been it's definitely been a a long a long journey they've been on, um, highs and lows and everything in between and. It's just, it's just the change in, like the change in venues. It feels like a change of atmosphere in a lot of the shows as well. So, yeah. definitely think the venue makes a lot of the atmosphere of mm. the shows. Yeah, Chris, it's kind of like uh, I think people have compared it in some sort of way to kind of like ECW had that kind of cult, you know, arena they were in all the time, you know, and it helped establish them. And I think in those early years with ECW, you had this because they were in the Mary Hill Community Centre they had this loyal following eventually grew they eventually started going to all these bigger venues the likes of the Apollo 23 in the, in the city centre and eventually the ones that they kind of used previously and as well as that these early shows as well first show they had was headlined by some guy who main evented Wrestlemania last year <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 actually I was looking this up I didn't realise that it was October 2006 that I started so long ago now when you look back on it only 70 people there it took them four years before they were running like every few months and had like 150 people and i didn't even start going until 2012 so it's hard to believe the company was six years old but time i start watching it if you look at like the difference in product between then and now i think that the first show i went to was at the classic grand so it was still like one of the very small venues it was the last time they were ever in the classic grand at feed and loading five and it's crazy, next year for me will be 10 years since I started watching, 10 years since my first show. It just makes my mind absolutely melt. Um, yeah, like, they, they always had that cult fan base, as Stacey mentioned, and, and there was the, the difference in atmosphere, you know? But like, every single venue just came with its own different sort of atmosphere. Like, the classic grand atmosphere was insane. Because there's all the multi-levels of the venue, like, it felt like people, it was like, you know, watching in the Coliseum in Rome, people watching from all angles on a much smaller scale, of course. <laughs> um, and then it, it took, I think, like 2012, 2013 before they were even in the garage. So, yeah, it's been a, it's been an interesting journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Derek, you went to one of your early experiences was at the garage, and this was a point. Anybody who goes to current ICW shows will understand. Well, I think this is crazy, but you were in the garage, and it was absolutely rammed from head to toe. For that first show, headlined by some other guy that's a champion in WWE right now, yeah. you know. So one of the first shows I went to, I think it was it was 2013 or 2014. I was trying to remember last night and I couldn't. Um, but um, on it was um, Finn Balor's last last appearance wrestling in ICW, um, going by the name of Fergal Debit, and he was fighting Mark Coffey for the Zero G, mm-hmm. um, which was a pretty spectacular night. I started getting into it. It was me and my two my two mates um, Sean and Graham and we decided to 
we seen we seen an advert somewhere for it and we decided to give it a bash um, and go and see what it was about and it was when you got there the, I mean the queue was out we went we went for a few beers and a bite to eat before it and it was the queues were outside it you know like they are before obviously the pandemic they were outside it about four o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> um, which was pretty crazy and when we turned up we were like what is going on here and just I, I, we didn't realise how big a cult following it had and then when we went in there was nowhere to stand. We had to actually stand in the stairs at the garage, which was um, just, it was a great view. But um, one of the things that was that was hilarious, Jester was fighting Red Lightning for the the title that night. The um, and as always with ICW, they came out into the floor, and my mate Sean was just having a swiggy's pint as Red Lightning swung a punch at Jester and missed him and hit Sean's pint <laughs> and went all over his face. So we were like. He was raging that the fact that he, he went down, a, he, he, he lost his pint, but it was I. The, the atmosphere that night in the garage was, it was nothing that I've seen before from from a wrestling company. You know, like we're used to watching stuff on the telly, like the WWE, WCW when it was on, but actually seeing it face to face, like being there, having a pint while watching yeah. it, was just something totally different, something I'd never experienced before, and that's what hooked me. On ICW, I think Stacey's point about the different venues having different character or dimensions just shows us this really interesting one. Because when you go back to like the community centre in Mary Hill and Wrestle Spear in Scotland, did a couple of shows there um, before the pandemic, which was quite interesting to be back there or to be there for a, a show featuring a lot of these characters that never been there before. Um, but how it changed and in the early days, Stephen, with it starting in 2006 and stopping for a period of time in 2007, you know, it was very much was a, was a bit of a hobby type feel to it. Um, you know, these guys loved wrestling. Some of them were trained to be wrestlers and they had nowhere to work. So they created their own. Uh, so it started off a bit of a hobby. And then, as the guys touched on there, when it returned, I think it returned about 2009, and we started getting fairly regular shows in 2010, that's when you started to see the entrepreneurial spirit and flair coming in. And just amazing, just in that little segment there, we've been recording some of the names we touched on. And the things that those guys have gone on to achieve, you've mentioned Mark Coffey, who's obviously tag team champion now in NXT UK, Finn Balor, has achieved great things, Drew, I mean, uh, and there's many others that follow there. But the uh, the moving into the nightclubs immediately changed. You know, the community centres, much more of a sort of family-type theme to the show, which I think was probably anybody that's been to independent wrestling in Scotland before that point has probably seen. You go to the nightclubs, you're then immediately positioned as an adults-only show, um, it changes the feels and it takes it becomes a bit of a night out and that's the bit that I enjoyed about my going to, when I started going to ICW it was a night out you met met for a few beers beforehand you went to the show you had a few more beers or in the case of some of the shows we'll come on to talk about a lot more beers <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay. Gary, Gary, we'll talk about the double headers later Gary loves a double header and a double piner uh, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking back on that first uh ICW show that they ran in 2006 and a lot of the names are they are still about as it stands uh, Liam Thompson wrestling the second match on the card uh, we had Wolfgang versus Red Lightning in a match that went on near the end uh, obviously Drew main event of the show we also had a match that featured the late uh, Tracy Smithers who unfortunately passed away last year that's a, a well known name in the wrestling industry so 
even in that early day, they were building it up. But uh, the venue side of things, I think it's an interesting point we brought up. We mentioned the likes of Chris gave the best and most, uh, what's the thing? Best description I just in general I've ever seen of the classic grand. I mean, my God. <laughs> uh, and Derek mentioned the uh, the garage, but uh, Gary as well. We kind of the ABC was another one. Oh, yeah. That was the first the first show me and yourself went to. And I think if you ask a lot of the ICW fans from their history, they've been to all these big venues that we'll talk about a bit later on, done the garage so many times, but the ABC felt like this amazing venue for all these big shows that will unfortunately never be seen again. Yeah, it's a tragedy, it's such a shame we've lost it. And at the time that ICW booked it, that was a big, big step forward because you're going from playing, what, Garage, 200, 250 people maybe, to ABC, which capacity was 1,300. I mean, that's a big jump. That's a big jump. I was always fascinated when the one of when we seen the cage match in the ABC, when somebody tried to do a spot off the top of the cage and avoiding the disco ball. I mean, that was <laughs> treacherous. That was big, big Wolfie as well, did the Big Wolfgang. That was... Uh-huh. Amazing, amazing agility from. I uh, saved the disco ball. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a time! What a time! I miss, I, I miss that venue so much. And uh, Stacey, one of the things I also associated with that venue with ICW, that particular show that Gary mentioned, that feels like a, a home for the Square Go to me that they did. And they obviously, it's appropriate that we kind of mention the Square Go at this point because we are recording this show on the day of the 2021 Royal Rumble. So to adapt the Square Go. Uh, type match for their shows would help them to build sort of a following because everybody who's a wrestling fan loves a rumble. Oh definitely and whenever they announced the square goal for a while anyway they thought oh we're going back to ABC Um, and another great thing about that is that no matter where you stood you could always see. Yeah. For a short person like me it's definitely a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. In the, the Square Goal shows uh, are interesting two, two things, Stephen. Uh, remember, in, ICW used to time a lot of their shows to coincide with uh, WWE shows, so you could go and watch the Square Goal, or go to the Square Goal, and then go off and watch the Royal Rumble and the same with Barramania when that was a thing, and then go on to WrestleMania. But I think the Square Goal, in some ways, when you look at when you go back, at, and you can see some of the early days, like the first Square Goal we went to, the cameraman ended up as a participant in it. So, you know, to get 30 people to and fill an undercard, um, that's a lot of talent you need. And you can just see the difference in the depth of the roster, maybe the financial resources of the company to be able to bring people in towards uh, the last swear goal we had, where you had somebody like Tread Seven, for example, appearing completely unannounced. You know, quite, a, uh, quite a difference. Um, between the two of them, so I think that sort of tells a wee bit of the story of the growth uh, of the company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Chris, I mean, a big part of the company, I think, that helped them, I think, is they eventually they built a cult following and were able to attract big names. And I think uh, Derek obviously mentioned Fergal David, you know, Finn Balor. And I think a big part in being able to attract these names is was the company got themselves into these high profile positions through other sorts of mediums. Uh, one of the first big examples was the Vice documentary which featured uh, a guy called Grado. I don't know what he's doing these days. Uh, <laughs> but that played a major part in exposure. And if you look at some sort of like building some sort of organic superstar, I mean, the, the journey of Grado is a classic example. 
Yeah, I mean, he's the reason that so many people started watching ICW, I think. Like, the, my first memory of Scottish wrestling is a radio show in Scotland interviewing Grado, and I was just like, this guy is so funny. And then I, re- I can't remember what came first, the, the, do- the documentary or my first show. I can't remember what, what order I watched them in, but when I watched that Vice documentary, I was just like, this is hilarious. And um, yeah, helped launch the career of Grado, probably one of the biggest stars the company's ever made. But then all the other people that have came through ICW and have their entire careers to thank for, like Drew, as you mentioned, Nikki Storm, Big Demo, Nomdar, Tommy End, countless NXT UK superstars, um, plus like all the other talent that they had over the years. Like I wrote down Sabu, Rhino, Johnny Moss, Doug Williams, just a few of those moose in later years i remember turning up unexpectedly as you well. were the only guy in that crowd who was absolutely ecstatic i these kind of like <laughs> i was a big tna guy um, i remember going to the newcastle show where bram debuted and uh, like 15 people around me were like who is this guy i was like that's bram i'm sure that's bram <laughs> again one of the very few people at that time it was exciting to see that bram <laughs> a very a very controversial figure on himself yeah, that's the Bram. I think it's fair to say, but uh, the thing, thing about it, it's just that uh, Derek uh, Chris actually mentioned Noam Dar, and he's a great one. He's a great example. I mean, I remember I interviewed Mark Dallas about four years ago now or something like that, and he mentioned that he had to sneak Noam Dar into venues <laughs> because he was that young, but he was that talented. So it just shows, like, about four or five years before that, I know if some, if they, there would have been a platform for the ta- for any of these kind of talents to get to because there was no really any route. There was just all these rip-off WWE shows where you had fake Undertaker and fake Kane. Yeah, that's a big one. I think one of the, the shows that we've done, you can check out in our back catalogue, guys. We plug there. As, um the show that we've done for um, ICW to WWE. Mm-hmm. And the number of guys that we mentioned in that, Stephen, you, you were on the show that day. There is, there is a number of um, wrestlers who have went from, started ICW and moved on to, to WWE, which is amazing to see. It's fantastic to see all these young Scottish wrestlers um, playing their part. I think it's really interesting. The guys already have put out a couple of names. And I think it's interesting when you go back. Like, I think the first show I went to, the main event was Jester and Danny Birch and I think ICW, when I look back on it one of the things I would say is I think they, some of the bookings they made of some of these big names like Tracy Smullers and so on, I think you know, you get people like that on your show and it gives a degree of credibility to folk within the industry so they know um, if you know somebody like that is appearing on the show then you know, it says something, and if they come back and they pass on positive things, you know that uh, if you take a booking, you're not going to get shafted. So you look back those early days. Johnny Moss was another one. The guys mentioned Doug Williams. You know, hugely respected folk. Rhino appeared in a number of those early, quite early shows, didn't he as well? So um, you know, those folk. I think there was a good use of some of those bookings. I think uh, Rhino was one of the first big imports. I think it was one of the ABC shows that did before they kind of established this type of big four type aspect that we talked about earlier on but he was a fantastic employee he did some great stuff in ICW I think, I, remember, I think he did an ICW I think one of his last ICW appearances like a month before it he was in the Dusty Classic or something like that or some he was the famous one. He was, he was one of the ones that I, I might be misremembering here he was in the street fight that went along Sucky Hall Street wasn't he? 
He was in a street fight that went outside with Drew, I think, at uh, Mary. Was it a Mary Hill? Mary Hill, that's getting mixed up between the two of them. It wasn't, oh, it wasn't yeah. that one that you were. It wasn't that one that I think you were talking about, Gary. That was a good while before. I think it was NAK versus somebody. I think at that particular right. point. But uh, he wasn't. He was in a one that went outside onto the streets of Mary Hill against Drew. It was crazy thing. <laughs> and Stephen, Stephen, we might have forgotten about the absolute best and. Um, most impactful import that they had, which was probably Cabana, which just started a whole massive thing. Cabana, it's yourself. <laughs> when he turned up in, was it Edinburgh was his first show? Aye. And then Grado did the like mini documentary about picking him up at the airport, which I just thought was amazing. Like, I, I definitely think that was a big help in them getting um, as big a fan base as they did. I am. Um, the two of them became tag champions at one point. I am, I am Drew. <laughs> <laughs> they were at that particular point, you know. And again, Colt Cabana, another name, is doing absolutely nothing apart from these days, you know. Joindarkorder.com <laughs> and all that. Uh, uh, Stacey, one of the parts of that thing Chris mentioned with Colt Cabana, I think it was featured quite prominently in a wee documentary that ICW got involved in on the BBC, uh, the Insane Fight Club documentary, which I think, if we talk about ways of this company building themselves, the Insane Fight Club one was a perfect example. That was the BBC, it was on primetime TV. You know, and if you're gonna build it, if you're gonna show yourself off to anybody, Stacey, the BBC is the place to do it in Scotland. Well, definitely, and um, I think before that documentary came out, I'd been to maybe five or six shows, um, and like I've said before, obviously ICW is what was the first wrestling that I'd ever watched. Like I'd never watched like WWE or anything before that, um, so it, it was. It was good, but it was quite strange seeing just like how big it was, if you know what I mean. Um, so obviously I know that WWE is really big, obviously, but you know that way um, I just never thought that like a local, like small organisation could be that big, like that popular. And then just seeing like the change in like how even bigger it was after the documentary, it, it was just... It was mind-blowing. <laughs> yeah, and Gary, they kind of co- they did quite well with it at this particular point because they had the documentary at this point. It established the likes of Grado and Jack Jester who came out of this as absolutely big Scottish names. And to this day, a lot of the people who don't really watch wrestling will still know the names of Jester and Grado from other stuff. But they yeah. then capitalised on that one, Gary, by then having the big return after that show that we first went to of Drew Galloway, Drew McIntyre, you know. Now, to get yourself onto a worldwide stage, I mean, to, a guy who people you had some sort of involvement with it, but to be the guy, the company to have this guy coming back, first of all, months, weeks after getting let go by the Fed, you know, it's a major tip in the cap and a big point in this company's history, I think, where they kind of went exponentially up with. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it was a massive step up. In the Insane Fight Club, sh- uh, it wasn't. It was one of those TV shows that wasn't supposed to be as big a hit as it was, because that's why it got so much more airplay from the BBC, because it was getting tremendous ratings. There was even there was a thing in the Telegraph, uh, a piece by Michael Hogan uh, in two- March 2014 that said BBC One's documentary grabbed you in a headlock and didn't let go until you stumbled off your sofa an hour later. I mean, the, the Telegraph is talking about wrestling 
at the time it was fantastic and some of the earned media you've seen some of the tactics they employed in the show to get themselves some attention the big pill fight in George's Square um, was fantastic but the Drew comeback I mean, that was that was the first ICW show I went at went to the noise in the arena uh, in ABC when he came back was phenomenal it was uh, really electric uh, I remember it fondly because I got smacked in the back of the head with a pint of something <laughs> I, I mentioned this I've mentioned this a couple of times in the show, so folk were going mental in the, about who was in the ring, and I was sort of rubbernecking down me, who the fuck was that? <laughs> <laughs> it was raging. But it was phenomenal, and uh, Drew talks about this uh, in the promo. He then went on to cut and the importance of it in the uh, Broken Skull session he did with Stone Cold Steve Austin. And you know, Drew looked like a megastar at that point. He acted like a megastar, and he was able to sh- quickly shed off the skin of the three-man band, which is what um, you know a lot of people maybe remembered them f- more recently for doing. I thought you know, for ICW and Drew, that moment, that that spot, that promo should not be underestimated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Derek, I think it's not just an important moment in this in ICW's history, I think it's an important moment in British general Scottish wrestling history, because you think he could, if he doesn't come back in this, in this show, I don't know where ICW would probably be, and obviously if he doesn't make this come he, he may have made a comeback everywhere else, but it made such a big impact that it revamped his career and we now look six, now nearly six years later, and the guy's probably one of the top two stars in WWE between him and Roman Reigns when you look at it, it's an amazing, you know, fall and then rise again for Drew. You know, and coming to ICW is a massive, a massive part of that. You know, coming home after, you know, getting released off the WWE and then you know try to reshape himself, try to get like Gary said, get rid of the the three man ban. I mean, that he had um, and turn himself from turn himself into you know Drew McIntyre then Drew Galloway, uh, what he is now and how well he's doing. Um, it's an amazing to see and without ICW. I think, I think it goes it goes both ways. Without ICW, Drew maybe doesn't do what he's done, but without Drew, ICW didn't go the way that they went. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Chris, I think I get a thing about it is Drew obviously has become a megastar. You know, I don't think anybody, as good as some of the guys are in wrestling, they've not touched them in terms of the Scottish talent. But I think underneath him, there was this nice layer of wrestlers who, at this time where he was building at the main event scene, this other group were beginning to establish themselves and put their names. I mean, he went. A couple of months later, when he wins the title, Fear and Loathing in the Battlelands, which is a phenomenal achievement looking back on it, that they were able to do the Battlelands. But there was the likes of the names on that one. Uh, Big Demo, Joe, uh, Joe Hendry, Kenny Williams, you know, uh, pretty much BT Gun, Wolfgang, Polo Promotions, you know. These names were there, about there. And with Drew kind of leading it to kind of say, he, I'm the main guy for all this one, you could then tune in to see these other guys who have become very, very polished stars over the last six years. Yeah, I think that, I mean, we touched on it a bit a second ago, but the most significant thing that's happened in the history of ICW was the night that Drew returned. I think that they're still benefiting from that now. The WWE connection started essentially because of this. I don't think that WWE were looking to poach the talent that they had in the years before Drew. I don't think there's any you know, big WWE names. Well, not there is a few in, in terms of like Wolfgang and stuff like that, but I think that when this moment happened, that's when 
WWE, I think, probably noticed them most significantly. I think the Drew helped ICW run to some of the biggest storylines, which ended up incorporating pretty much the whole roster. Um, from the point he returned to winning the belt at Barham Main... No. Yeah, Barham Main... No. Fear and Loathing? Fear and Loathing. Fear and loathing. Yeah, yeah. Nah. It's, the only, it's only Fear and Loathing I've not been at since I started watching because um, I'd moved to England at that point. But if you if you look at Drew's journey from there to dropping the belt to Grado to the storyline at the first Hydro, I think all of those storylines involve so many people in the roster, so many moving parts, and yes, yeah, it's, it's basically all thanks to him, basically. I got a great moment at that particular show. I got a high five from Paul London, who decided during his tag team championship match to go through the crowd. Unfortunately, yeah, I was still on demand, and, and that takes far takes up far too much time in that show. Yeah, but Brian Kendrick's in the ring, just thinking, just like, "Fuck, are you doing?" <laughs> and he's got this match that kind of. But going into that match, actually, I'll go to Stace in this one for obvious reasons. Uh, that helped uh, launch another significant part of the division to many people, or the company in the main aspects of it. It was the launch of Polar Promotion, so I think in many people's eyes were kind of a a big part of the tag team scene on it. They were the ones who came out of the tag scene that we talked about on another show previously with the likes of the the UH Click, the Bucky Boys, Sumerian yeah. Death Squad, and they kind of then came into this afterwards and obviously let's be honest they play the big part in your fandom everybody knows that Polar Promotions yeah. are your team yeah that was a fantastic day the beginnings of Polo Promotions um, I, I don't think I, I don't think I can hide the fact to anyone that I'm a big Polo Promotions fan um, but um, just to see like the storyline with them like throughout that like just seeing when they left like they were a very love-hate tag team, but oh, yeah. even even though that was when they left and then came back, the reaction that they got from the crowd like was amazing. It was just like barely anyone was silent. Like everyone had their own opinion on it, but like the volume of hearing them coming back, it was it was great, and it wasn't expected like for them to come back when they did as well or leave when they did um, but yeah they yeah. created a fantastic journey that led to a man winning a world championship with a headlock you know I don't know if I'd say that in my life but you know <laughs> uh, Stephen, uh, Stephen, um, one thing that, that I was going to mention there that, 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 you, that you briefly touched on was the tag team division you all know I'm a big tag team wrestling fan and the tag team division ICW had then was stellar you know it was, it was great you know with Paul Promotions Sumerian Death Squad, who were, I thought were amazing. They were, the first time I seen them, I was like, wow, they're a tag team. You know, they're a proper tag team. Um, when you look at them, you know, we had the young, fast upcoming Bucky Boys in there as well, who, you know, they had a fun element, but they were also very good wrestlers in there as well. It was such a stellar lineup that they had, just with a few guys that we mentioned there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I mean, you know, you look at the Sumerian Death Squad, one of my favourite... I can't really talk about one of my favourite moments of ICW that involves the Sumerian Death Squad for the obvious reason of the other person involved in the segment, but uh, they, were, they were so creepy, you know, and, you know, Tommy A and Alistair Black, I mean, I really hope he's... I, this will, I know this is coming out after the Rumble, but I really hope that he's going to be in it. That <laughs> <laughs> show we're talking about, the Fear and Loathing 7 show at the Barrowlands, I mean, the people on it, 
that have now gone on to much bigger things. Kenny Williams, Demo, Joe Henry's done incredibly well, Kaylee Ray, Stevie Boy, uh, Tommy End we've mentioned already, BT Gun, Wolfgang, uh, Mark Coffey, Joe Coffey, Noam Dar, Shards, Samuels, Grado, and Drew. You mean Ed, Har- you mean Ed Harvey? <laughs> I mean that's just phenomenal that you know of you know, that's the majority of that card that I've gone about. And one of the things I liked about ICW at this time is, and it's perhaps one of the criticisms of some other shows. If you look at like the way the uh, women are booked in WWE just now, there's really no storylines by and large, except the the females that are chasing the championship, whereas at ICW this time there were different sto- you know people had different stories, or lots of different things on on the go, and you started to see the evolution here of the of the wrestler that ICW had of the athlete. You had people that actually were training properly and working towards this being an end goal for them as opposed to some of the folk that maybe filled some and there were some of them on this show you know you look at them um, you know you put some of the wrestlers up against one another some of them look like athletes and some of them look like guys that have just been dragged in off the street and I think you start to see a wee bit of the evolution <laughs> of them yeah you, guys in ICW have talked about round about this time not for long following this when the, the ICW On Demand Network starts off it, and I think a lot of them talk about how the way they always filmed the, sh- the shows for that on demand purposes, they were working towards cameras, you know, they yeah. were directed, I think it was Kenny Williams that mentioned at one point, that he was, it helped him when he went to WWE to NXT UK, because he, ha- he knew where the cameras were, and I think if a lot of guys came off just from the, a lot of like me indie shows where they don't really have that many, just the one static camera, you know it's not really the same you know so it kind of helps them in that aspect of it uh chris i will fall back on you because you kind of mentioned this one as well the kind of the couple of years journeys worth of storylines that came off of drew's title win i think it was a fantastic moment in the company's history some of the stuff that came off of it uh one that we can't not mention was the bill to the secc which granted that they would go to the hydro which we'll talk about in a bit many people will say that the secc was the pinnacle you know in terms yeah, of the actual I, show and the storyline that led to that main event between Drew, Drew and Grado is peak ICW in many people's eyes. Yeah, that is the exact line from my notes, Stephen. A lot of people would argue that SECC was the best ever show. Um, the build to that show was amazing. Me and Stacey, I think we were with each other at the Edinburgh show where we, we didn't know what was going to happen at the SECC yet but that that night in Edinburgh I think it was the Studio 24 show when Grado just gets on the mic and goes Drew I want to challenge you for the belt at the SECC and he badges him and he badges him and eventually Drew goes nuts and accepts it it was brilliant it was it was really good it was it was just such a perfect run into that show. Like that, that show was a really good example of getting imports like Rhino on the show, but not overdoing them. Yeah. And um, what you guys said earlier about like having women in different storylines wasn't that the night that Carmel faced Liam Thompson as well? No, um, that was the bat. That was a Batamania show. After I was it bad, but like just just having other stuff on the card like that was fantastic. I think. I'm trying to remember. Did Joe Coffey fight Rhino or something yeah, like that? Yeah. And, sorry, go ahead. And, and yeah, yeah I ju- just the SECC, just the atmosphere of that show, walking into that arena, seeing the ring, seeing how everybody went mental for absolutely everything. I absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was me, Gary and Derek as well, that particular show, and the, it was, you couldn't move. It was mental. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was such a great show, and um, everything about it was perfect. You know, the atmosphere was great. We were lucky that we had reasonably good standing positions um, just next to the just next to the ring, um, just next to the entrance. Um, but I was a it was a brilliant show, and I think, like like Chris said, it is probably the best ICW show that they've done. It was. Um, we we t- said at the start of the show about the the character that the venue offers. Still going to the SECC, it still felt a wee bit more in keeping with the character of ICW because when you got into it, it was still standing. You could, you know, stand with your pints, um, yeah. and you. I was getting towards the age there that I, I was starting to really miss a seat, but uh, <laughs> um, you know, the lighting in the arena was a bit. You know, it was darker as well. It was more of a natural evolution and we'll probably talk about it um, about moving on to other venues but there was an excitement about that show it was a sellout as well and I um, when we come on to it the the decision to then move from the SECC on to the Hydro I don't know you know as somebody that's you know been me and my career's been in, uh, in delivering events uh, for a large part of it I sometimes debate over. Yeah, I could go to a bigger venue, but am I ready? You know, is, are we ready to go to the bigger venue? Um, is this a one-off, or can we do this again, or do I stick with this, the you know the venue this size and actually I don't have to work as hard to sell the tickets? And I think that night, if ICW had said tickets and sale for SECC next year, you know, tomorrow or that night, I think it would have sold out incredibly quickly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, Chris, they looked at that Hydro show. Obviously, they announced the Hydro show on that night, and I think if you're a comp- if you're a company running regular shows in Glasgow, the Hydro is pretty much you hit the Hydro, and then after that, you would probably hit a big arena, a big stadium show. Which, let's be brutally honest, I'm never going to do. No, nope, I don't think. The only time you would sell a stadium show in Scotland is if WWE or AEW came over. Uh, I don't even know if AEW's got the same popularity now in Scotland. But anyway, the the Hydro show it gets it's, it's a big risk for them, as you say, because it could flop and maybe talk about later on and maybe did brand that too much because of it but this one in 2016 they managed 6,000 fans at it which for a wrestling show in the UK was a fantastic achievement but by no means selling out the hydro but in terms of UK wrestling it's a big thing they were also on Fight TV that night as well going live so there was a lot of things going on in that one Chris that they kind of worked with but it was a type of thing that I feel like they went with it they tried to go big names and I think they maybe should have kind of never done it again, if you get me. Go to the Hydro. Yeah, absolutely. And and do you know what? See, around this time, I can't actually br- blame Mark Dallas because I think that he's a man that all the way throughout ICW from 2006 all the way to the first and second Hydro shows, he was always about constantly progressing the company. So I can't blame him at all for the night of the SECC being like, right, we're going to do the Hydro next year. It seemed like the natural progression at the time. But you're right in saying that if they'd have done the SECC twice before they decided to progress, then I think that would have been so, so, so much better. Don't get me wrong, see the first Hydro night. I think that that's one of my favorite ICW shows in history. It's definitely got my favorite match in history on it. I uh, loved the power struggle storyline, which was actually like worked into the actual booking of the Hydro, was worked into that storyline. It should have closed the show that match. Absolutely, and I realized last night that it didn't close the show, and I was like, 
hang on, I've just invented in my head that it did close the show and then I forgot that, of course. Did you leave early? <laughs> <laughs> I, wish I'd, I wish I'd left early. Joe Coffey versus Kahango was crap. Yeah, and it's sad because Joe's probably my favourite ICW wrestler of all time. But yeah, like, it's difficult. We, we're obviously looking back on it in hindsight and we're, we're seeing everything that's happened in ICW since the very night of the first Hydro show. Um, I don't blame them at all for trying to go for what they did, but I've just Googled the capacity and um, as the guy said at the top of the show, they, they, it, it was, I th- I, it was, was it even half full in terms of how many tickets they sold? 14,300 is the advertised capacity for the Hydro, so more if you'd have some folks standing and they are, from what I can see through my research, the, the publicly released attendance for the first Hydro show was 6,193. Now, that, I remember we, I, years ago I used to have an event that took place in Worcester Cathedral and it attracted something like, oh, I don't know, this, this particular event attracted like 1,100, 1,200 people. But the cathedral holds two and a half thousand people, so it was a good it was a good turnout. But in that venue, it looked really bad uh, because you know it's half full. <laughs> uh, whereas you put eleven hundred people in a venue that holds eleven hundred people, you know, completely different atmosphere on it, which is what we did in that particular uh, arena there. But yeah, six thousand one hundred ninety-three. Chris uh, was the attendance for the first one, or advertised publicised attendance for it. So, so yeah, and I, I just think the gaps from from through both hydro shows were very, very noticeable, very, very quickly, and um, I think as well it harmed the atmosphere as well that the seating for the first hydro show was so far from the ring as well. So, like, nothing to do with view or anything like that, but just to try and join up the atmosphere, both the standing and seating sections was really, really difficult. Um, I've never sat for any of the ICW shows. I think the atmosphere and the seating is completely different from the standing crowd and it takes away from like an essential core value of ICW and that's that almost football rabble that you have in the standing crowd. So yeah, it was it was an interesting turning point. I quite I didn't mind the the sitting on the first one because I, I felt I felt a wee bit different, you know, you stood all the time, it was nice to go to your show and have a seat and the view was pretty good what we had at the, the level but I remember the third Hydro show and it was a completely different uh, thing altogether you talk you, 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 there was the big thing about the, the third Hydro show which we'll, we'll just probably go into in a wee minute was there was a lot of fans in there who thought the atmosphere was guff which is didn't help watching the show and there was a big thing after it that Gary you mentioned when we were talking before the show as well, before this show uh, that all the guys in the, that worked the show thought this is one of the best shows we ever did but there was a lot of fans going yeah I'm not too happy about that one and it led to quite a a bit of a sticky between the fans and the wrestlers after the show but you know, if you watch it back the matches aren't bad but it's different experience when you're there live and you can't really get invested into it which should have been understood yeah absolutely Stephen uh, there's a couple of things about the this era that I'd want to touch on because yes we are looking at it uh, in hindsight and hindsight is a wonderful thing nobody's ever made a bad decision <laughs> with the benefit of hindsight and I think Chris made a really good point there that you know, the entrepreneurial spirit that I mentioned earlier on of, of uh, ICW 
is borne out in the decision to go to the hydro in the first show and I think probably all things being equal it, it probably paid off in that first year with the, the massive attendance they got for it and the other uh, support they got for it so moving from Mary Hill to the, the Glasgow nightclubs was a big move and it worked moving from the Glasgow nightclubs to doing some shows in the ABC and the Barrowlands was a big decision and a big risk and it worked moving from those venues to the SECC was a big decision and it worked so I can see why ICW thought you know we're on an upwards trend here uh, all the fruit of our labour is paying off we, we can pull this off and um, uh, and it was a big it was a big step up. I think also interesting when you look and Chris touched on this as well with the first hydro show, the imports you had um, from outside of the UK were Rhino and Mick Foley. The second year at the hydro, you've got the Dudley Boys, you've got Ricochet, Finn Balor, and Kurt Angle, uh, and then the year after that, we've got RVD and Rey Mysterio. The third Hydro show, you've got the Briscoes, James Storm, British Strong style. I think that tells a story in of itself that you've got bookings. I'm sure that first and second year at the Hydro, people came along because they were Attitude Era wrestling fans and they wanted to see some of these WWE stars that they'd only ever seen on the TV and it probably didn't come along. I think in the latter year, I think James Storm has been fantastic in ICW and I think he's added so much to what they did I met the man, he's, his arms are fucking enormous um, uh, but I'm not sure that he encouraged people to come to the Hydro that weren't already going to come to the Hydro and I would say the same with the Briscoes and actually I love British Strong Style I love Tyler Bate, I probably feel the same about that so I think that sort of tells a story in of, its, of itself um, of, of the use of the, the imports to attract fans to those shows um, yeah, so sorry Stephen I went off on a tangent and I've completely forgot what your question initially was the <laughs> <laughs> uh, reaction to that from Hydro show between the people watching it in the yeah. arena and the people who were taking part in booking the show yeah I think um, this shows for me a disconnect between the the talent, the company and the paying fans and if anything that this pandemic has shown is that sports and entertainment industries cannot and should not take fans for granted and I think a lot of a lot of people, a lot of industries were doing that, you, you know, use football as an example uh, fans at football stadiums are treated appallingly, they're treated like criminals going into the, a lot of the, the stadiums here Without one, you don't have the other, and we realise. I hope people realise now that's the case and shouldn't be that. How many wrestlers have we heard through this period talk about they can't wait to be performing in front of a live audience again? And this feeling that uh, that fans cannot pass an opinion on the product we see because we have never done it, I think is a nonsense. We are. We pay our money, we are entitled to our opinion, you're entitled to cheer for the people you like, you're entitled to boo the people you don't like, you're entitled to uh, say if you enjoyed it or if you didn't enjoy it and that applies to any sorts of live entertainment, not just uh, not just sports. So I, uh, 
I think I found it very uncomfortable on the back of this third hydro show to see some of the wrestlers attacking on social media the people that paid to come there um, and I've seen some nonsense. I've seen one wrestler in particular claim that, you know, we, uh, I think actually, um, the, it may have been you that started this particular discussion off, although it wasn't directed at you, Steve, in this comment when we talked about uh, following the, uh, the closure of Defiant, um, that, oh, it has British wrestling hit its peak, and this particular wrestler tweeted uh, in a response to say, we sold out the Hydro. Sorry, no, you never sold out the Hydro. Take the three Hydro attendances, put them together. You still don't get a sellout of the Hydro. You've done incredibly well to attract a big audience at them. But don't, you know, don't shit in fans um, for having an opinion. Actually embrace the feedback and actually maybe if people had got themselves out of their own little world and thought, how do we go from uh, having an attendance of 6,000 to then having an attendance of 2,000 over a period of three years mm-hmm. and just focused on answering that question rather than trying to argue that the fans were incorrect to say that that show lacked atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, that that would probably have been a more insightful argument to have had or yeah. a discussion and debate to have had within the company rather than focusing on, no, we are right and you're wrong and how dare you fans for having an opinion because you have never wrestled. Yeah, I mean, Stacey, if you look at that card in the Fun Hydro show, on paper, it's a, it's a decent card. You've got the battle between the, the Coffee Brothers. You've got Kayleigh Ray Viper in a Queen of Insanity match. You've got British Strong Stylist Gary Stade facing BT Gun Norm Darren Wolfgang. And you've got Lionheart versus Jackie Polo in the main event. So on paper, it works. But obviously, if they've got to, if the attendances went down by a third, something really must have went differently in that kind of three, two years and you kind of noticed in that two year period that aside from the big shows which we'll talk about in a wee minute to be fair there was there seems to be a downturn in what was happening particularly from the, the garage shows Yeah, um, because in the run up to the third Hydro show was that when they started having shows like uh, like two garage shows a month? Uh, I think so uh, Not yeah. on one month, was it not? One month, yeah, maybe I yeah, because like for a, for a wee while they were doing like two shows a month and that is when you really saw like the numbers starting to fall uh, with ICW. Um, I think it was a lot down to do with money because of how much the tickets cost, like depending where you bought it from, all the box office fees added on top of it. Um, yeah. Once a month, is manageable for some people, but to a month, it's not very manageable for a lot of people. Um, and then and when you'd go to the garage and you'd see how quiet it was, and that was like in the run up to a, one of their big, big show, like their biggest show, um, it, it wasn't a very good sign to see how quiet the garage was before these big shows. Yeah, I mean, Derek Stacey touched upon the ticketing thing that one I think that's a thing that's affected a lot of people in many of the years I mean probably back when you first bought the tickets for the garage shows that had Finn Balor on it they were paying a lot less than maybe what they were trying to charge now by the likes of or even then I mean I think this, uh, Gary checked this up I'm sure he mentioned before the show uh, Derek it was about 17 quid for Gonzo tickets which is the stuff they do at their own venues the garage shows can be about 20 quid a ticket you know the weekenders you maybe pay a bit more but I think for the, if you want to kind of 
there's an issue with the ticket strategy there that you want to charge this amount of money to people for doing that many regular shows. You need, and you go there, you pay that money, and you see smaller crowds because of the money, but maybe the product's not what it was a year or so ago, which inevitably will lead to some sort of downfall. Yeah, I think my first ticket I that I paid for the one that I, um, I mentioned with Finn Balor in, I think it was about ten to twelve pound for a ticket for it um, at that time, which was amazing value for for the guys you were seeing, and then um, you know getting closer to just before the pandemic when you were when you were when you were going, you know you had to pay um, a booking fee, and then you had to pay on top of that a, a postage fee as well. So that was adding an extra nearly five six pound on top of your ticket. Um, I think Gary's got the exact ones. Yeah, for, if you were buying a ticket for the March twenty one, which if, if it's able to go ahead, which is probably unlikely, it's, it's not, not going to happen. It's not happening. Like, so the March twenty one uh, Fight Club t- tickets for the garage show at sixty pounds. You've then got a two a two pound booking fee on top of that, and two ninety five to get your ticket posted to you. So your sixteen pound ticket becomes twenty pounds ninety five mm-hmm. for that one. So those wee bits added added extra which you know putting top it doesn't doesn't help a lot of people um as well the other thing that that used to that, that got me that people mentioned as well about the, the, the fans for granted was how long you had to wait outside and um, that was a massive bugbear for me you know they said the tickets the doors opened at say for talking six eight o'clock half seven and you were standing out there sometimes for 45 minutes to an hour in the cold and in the rain waiting to get in and actually watch the wrestling and then even when you get in you still had to go all the way up the stairs in the garage it was just a it was just i felt like a mountain task every time you went to actually try and get in and see the wrestling that you paid for and then uh, one of the things that they did around this time annoyed a lot of fans but well, maybe not annoyed chris because he was probably i think he was living down there at this particular point was uh the decision to take one of the big events to square go down to newcastle uh chris were you living in newcastle at this particular point yeah i was yeah um now Again, much like what I said earlier, I can see why they did this. Mark just yeah. been constantly trying to push the 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 boundaries of everything. I, I remember actually speaking to him and I can't remember when or why, but I was like, All right, so are you touring again this year? Is there gonna be another Newcastle show? Because I missed the first Newcastle show. I went to like the second and third ones and I think after the third one I was like, So what what's the script? And uh I'm sure he won't mind me telling you this years afterwards. He was like, you live in Newcastle? And I was like, yeah. He was like, I'll tell you one thing. Please don't tell anyone in the world we're bringing the square go to there. And I was like, what? Um, but like, so for me, that was absolutely amazing. And he explained it to me. He was like, you know, I can never move Shug's house party because, you know, is it not named after his dad or it's something it's like on, that? It's on his, birth- his birthday weekend. And it's on his birthday, yeah. He, he was like, I could never move Badamania because the venue is in its name. I could never move Fear and Loathing. He was like, the only thing we could ever tour with was the square goal. I was like, amazing, get down here. But obviously, that that again, that's just assuming that all of your Glasgow fans have enough money to travel down to a different country. It's a cross-border affair. Book accommodation because you're not traveling back the same night unless you're a maniac. And yeah, like that was absolutely amazing for me. And absolutely amazing for all the other fans that they were trying to drag in from other parts of the UK. But it's not that great if you're a Glasgow fan, is it? I think the thing that they did, because uh, a couple of years before that, when they were doing the insane fight club stuff, they toured down south, they went to London, they went to Liverpool, but they were off the back of the BBC name at that particular point, and there wasn't the British wrestling kind of all these companies down there, the likes of Progress, Rev Pro, and all that type of stuff, were defiant. Weren't we? 
not quite at the level yet, but by the point that they went to do the square go in Newcastle, Defiant was like, they were they took up the territory really in Newcastle, I think it's fair to say. There were so many other these ones, so I think making the move to do that was very risky. And I think, they, did they not do a show? Stacey, did you go to that show in Newcastle where uh, Pinkie Party won the tag titles? Or am I thinking that you just went to the uh, square go in Newcastle? Uh no, I went to I went to two shows in Newcastle, I think. Yeah, so I went to the Square Go one, and then it must have been when the Pinky Party won the tag belts. Mm-hmm. Was it Chris? <laughs> the the second one was the one that was headlined by Chris Hero and Joe Coffey. Oh yeah, and we got a ride for yeah. for booing for um, booing him out the building. Yeah. <laughs> Chris Hero, that is. Not, yeah, um, we were like there was only like. Ten, like five or ten of us, and they just—he just turned round and was just told us to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, Stephen, I'm not sure if that was the night that they won. I know that that was the night they did the celebration. They, with, won, uh, they, won, they won. the tag titles in Newcastle. Yeah. yeah okay. Right. Well, um, I definitely remember there being a a kinky celebration <laughs> with the uh, stabbing subject to a, a dance from a lady of the night. The timing of the Newcastle show is an interesting one because it's the first big show after the first Hydro show. So you, you, you're you on this crest of a wave. You've got 6,000 people. A lot of folk, I would say, that have come to the Hydro would be the first um, uh, ICW show. I understand the rationale for taking... Uh, the square go to another territory or another city to try and grow your market share but I think again you know build on your momentum you've got 6,000 people who have had a great night at that show and it was a good it was uh, with the exception of the main event it was a cracking show Um, you could you know you could have been looking to get those people Strike while Lions hot, get them from going from their first ICW show to buy tickets for their second ICW show and go try and go from there. Try and hold on to some of those people. But what happened is um, that you know that didn't happen. They weren't going to travel to Newcastle, um, so you probably lost them. And that's I I think I felt because I didn't go to the Newcastle show. Um, I felt that was a. I, I felt disconnected because I'd missed out so much. And yes, you can read the read about what happens. I didn't have uh, ICW on demand at the time, either, so I never actually seen the the show. So you kind of like just miss out. It's like the road to WrestleMania without seeing the Royal Rumble. You kind of just you know sets up so much for the year ahead. And I think you know again the benefit of hindsight. I think it was a wrong move. I get the rationale for doing it. I understand the business case for it. But the counterpoint to that was, well, how are you going to get these thousands of people that bought tickets for your show to buy tickets for your next show? Well, right. there's no strategy to do that from from the looks of things. And the one one thing that Chris mentioned actually, Gary, was that at this point they'd established this sort of you know big four schedule they had. They had the Square Go, they had Baromania at that point. They had the um, Shug's House Party and uh, obviously Fear and Loathing. I think for a couple of years under that point, they, they did, as much as we say, maybe the garage shows, they did some poor decisions in terms of uh, ticket strategy and that type of stuff. But when it came to these big four shows, you tended to always come out of them 
feeling like you'd enjoyed the show, you had a good time, you didn't really feel let down by anything major at them. Yeah, and nine times out of ten, the what you've seen on the shows was like with building something. More recently, the the big shows had more sort of throwaway matches, which didn't really have anything to it. I like, I don't understand what purpose Scotty Davis and Easton Reese served, um, other than just to put a match on the show and to book to the guys. Aye, with Ross, McLeod, with Ross McLeod's jacket on. Um, but I like this, I guess, structure, and they were working towards something. There was logic, there was continuity, it became episodic booking um, as well. And the big shows started to develop their own little feels to them. Um, you know, Square Go, you know, everybody loves the, rum- the rumble. Uh, Baromania Shugs became a, the first weekender, which made that more special as well. Fear and Loathing was their big, uh, the big show, and I think actually the Hydro. We talked about the feel and the atmosphere of the venues, the character it adds. The Hydro for me was fundamentally different to all the other venues. Uh, it didn't feel like an ICW venue as such. Then, but yeah, I like that, Stephen. I know in recent years they moved away from Baromania and had the big, the sort of the three of them but they were something and Stacey touched on at the pricing point you've got to think about you know how you know the amount of disposable income your audience have and how much are they going to spend for it you know the core ICW fans are paying for ICW on demand if they're spending their their money for your ticket once a month or a show they're on you know that there's a night out attached to it. It's not just your 21 quid for your Fight Club ticket. There's other costs attached to it. And then when you moved into your weekender shows as well, like um, the Fear of Loathing weekender ticket, if you paid for early entry, that's going to cost you for this coming November, it would cost you £63.58. There, £45 for your ticket, £10 for your early entry, 5 63 booking fee and 2 95 to get your tickets posted to you. Absolutely, absolutely mental. Uh, I don't, uh, uh, Derek, well, I'll ask you this. See, the Shug's House Party is a weekender. I feel to many people that works. I mean, I think one of the only good things that come out of what happened with the ABC is them able to move into the O2 Academy and that's a brilliant venue for wrestling I feel I think that first show they did there there was good but at the same time they now they then experimented with doing the Fear and Loathing as a weekender which I felt was very unnecessary I'm not the biggest fan of the biggest your biggest show being two nights Wrestlemania I'm not the biggest fan of it I like it as one night Wrestle Kingdom in Japan I like it as one night Fear and Loathing I feel the exact same you know I feel like you can't have two I feel Shug should be the, the, the weekender and they should just leave Fear and Loathing as a one nighter yeah I agree as well I do like it a two-nighter wrestling show because you get to get pissed and watch wrestling for two nights in a row, which is great. Um, I do enjoy that, but I think I think you're right. I think there should only be one um, weekend, and that should be like a special crowning moment of the wrestling year. Um, and Shugs is the one that they have it in as well. I totally agree with you there. Well, um, Shugs falls at a nice time of year to do it as well in the summer. Um, it's all they're wearing their shorts and all that yeah, as well. It's great. It, it was nice to go out. Fear and Loving falls at the end of November, isn't it? Folk have got other financial commitments at that time. But the move to the weekenders, Stephen, if I could just add to it, is you could see when the ICW left the hydro behind, that the strategy for me looks like it's shifting to say, right, our audience is potentially this size. So how do we maximise our income or support 
from that audience but what you do is you make well what they look like they've done is they've added in the Gonzo show and you've added in Weekenders and we tried the King of Honours one as well so you're trying and you're charging for early entry now as well so you're trying to get you know if this is your audience uh, you're trying to maximise what you can from it which in terms of a strategy is, is fine but how elastic is the income and disposable income of that audience to do it um, and yeah how attractive is the product as well and if you're going to do that then that audience have to get value from you if that's your core audience you need them to feel a real strong affinity to the brand to the kind of extent that football fans feel to their club where they are willing to pay hundreds and hundreds of pounds for a season ticket for matches they will not get in the stadium to see that's the type of demand and connection you need between your audience to do that they've got to feel like you're part of you're part of the club you're part of the dna of this wrestling industry you're a part of it this is a movement we're all on together it's not them and us mm. yeah I, chris one of the things as well around about this point that was like different is there was the obvious the, the relationship began between wwe and eventually nxt uk and i feel in this sort of way they started to kind of over rely a wee bit on not just these kind of big names that came from nxt uk were like competing on it but there was a there was a lot of the names like the likes of maybe like bt gun jack jester these type of thing they seem to be over relying on these type of guys for past that past the time that they maybe should have been at the top whereas they should have done what they did very early on around about the time we talked about you started watching 2012 where they were building up all the likes of these names like grado they were struggling around about this point in time and i think maybe the NXT UK uh, relationship was playing on their mind in that one to kind of keep the names flowing into there but at the same time if you've got a conveyor belt like that you need other people coming up people need to get behind a lot of these names and there was nobody for a couple of years that you thought it was going to stand out as a new name yeah I I took a look at this right so we're, we're talking about these big anniversaries of ICW I went back and looked at the roster of ICW for the notorious ICW, which was on the 6th of February 2011, right? So this week, that'll be 10 years ago. Does anyone want to guess how many wrestlers on that show are still wrestling or involved in the show today? More than 10. It is more than 10, right? So I'll go through them. So on that show, you had Andy Wilde, Liam Thompson, Kaylee Ray, Carmel, kinda, Kid Fight, kinda, Red Lightning, Wolfgang, Dickie Divers, Davy Blaze, Stevie Boy, Joe Coffey, BT Gun, Gnome Dart, Jack Jester. So that's 14 people who, wow. you know, were, were still kind of involved in the last show, the last live show I saw, which was Fear and Loathing. Not involved, it was only seven people. And that's Johnny Moss, who is retired. Christopher, who is, I think, retired. William Grange, who is kind of retired. Lionheart, who sadly passed away. Chris Renfrew, who's been banished. Rob Cage and James Scott, who I've got no idea what they do with their lives now. Maybe they're builders or something. But James, it just shows James you, like, Scott's a better runner, I think. Yeah. I said about James Scott the better. Okay, well, so that's that's sixty-six percent of the talent. Fourteen of twenty-one are still involved. And then if you go back to, as you said earlier on, still involved from the two thousand and six opening show. Liam Thompson, Kid Fight, kind of Wolfgang, Red Lightning, all still involved in the show. Um, we we have this issue where. Right, so they're constantly desperate to please WWE these days. Like, there's no beating around that bush. They um, were never 
like this before. I remember my first night watching ICW, Mark Dallas stood in the ring and cut a promo on Vince because he changed the WWE Network launch date to the same night as the ICW Network launch date. Um, there was plans of fuck WWE and no idea if that made it onto the ICW or WWE Network. The fuck TNA chance when Grado was on the boot camp. Exactly. So eventually, did Mark Dallas just come crawling back to WWE? Are they pals now? He, um, he just suddenly he went from being this whole rebel, as you said, and then next day you see the you see the big the tournament in Blackpool. He's just in the crowd, like hello. Yeah. <laughs> so so there's this like intrinsic connection between like not being able to build new stars combined with NXT UK having their way with the roster at any time they liked. Uh, NXT UK, I think, was part of the reason that Mark versus Joe got ruined the first time it was planned around before eventually ending up at the Hydro. Yeah, um, yeah there was, it was meant to be Aaron Echo versus Kenny Williams, but let's look back on it, they should just scrap that match altogether. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's actually mutually hurt both companies because we're seeing this issue now where stars are used in the exact same matches as they're used in the other companies. So NXT UK are doing loads of stuff that ICW's already done and ICW's getting even worse because now ICW is doing things because NXT UK's done it, doing it. Like, I'm gonna put this out there guys, right? Nomdar is the ICW champion. Right, he wasn't big enough to be the champion when he was here before and he's gone off and been on the, what, fourth or fifth biggest WWE show on 205 Live so why is he now big enough to be the champion he's not, he's, he's not even on 205 Live anymore he's just on NXT UK he's kind of fell down the, he's fell down the totem pole something awful uh, the great example is uh, Kayleigh Ray Viper it's a great example of it I mean we, we've seen it so many times I mean two of them are great athletes let's not get wrong but we've seen the match loads of times in ICW and on the Scottish wrestling circuit in general and then recently they're just there when NXT UK booked it it's like oh it's the big clash between Kayleigh Ray and Viper we're all like yeah seen it whatever you know <laughs> you know they, they added Tony Storm into it at one point at the takeover show and it's just like right okay I saw Tony Storm versus uh, Viper at the last Shugs show you know it actually it brings me on to a good point Stacey another thing that they've never done brilliantly in the past is the women's division we spoke about it a lot on this podcast yeah that the, at one point that the women's division was four wrestlers you know and yeah. it's something that they've really not taken full advantage of maybe until recently with the whole pandemic shows it was always just these four wrestlers and you didn't want you never got in a time where they were wrestling fans all over the world were crying to see women get so many more chances yeah. icw were still behind the curve yeah, because as you were saying, it seemed to be the same four female wrestlers always in some match up against each other. Um, when Kaylee Ray and uh, Viper um, started going to NXT shows more, uh, there seemed to be another two young female wrestlers come up that kind of just took their place. Um, and again you're just getting the same matches over and over and over again so really they needed to bring in new people and if one good thing can come from um, the pandemic in wrestling terms if they've done that for ICW then fantastic mm -hmm. yeah Derek we've seen a couple of names kind of float about on the recent shows you know the likes of Emily Hayden, who's now part of this podcast, she's appearing on it. There's the likes of Anastasia appearing on it, Angel Hayes a lot more. So you feel like if they can start 
doing this. As well as that, they've got these uh, younger wrestlers who are not as prominent that were featuring in big spots in the Lionheart League that they were doing on the pandemic shows. Jason Reed, friend of the show. I say friend because he hates me. ADM was also on these. <laughs> <laughs> was getting prominent spots as well. We saw Quacker's favourite tag team KOE featuring a lot. I mean, they seem to at least, from the likes of the pandemic, and even in a way, to some extent, the speaking out movement, which helped get from a light on it. They're seeing a lot of these people getting a bit more of a spot now. Yeah, and that's and that's great. Look, like Stacey said, the good thing about. Um, in the wrestling and the redlands and the pandemic has done is bringing through these young talented um, wrestlers as well which is great to see um, as well and it's sort of it's, it's, I think ICW needed to do this as well to sort of to break the curve particularly with the struggle with the female roster that they had as well and like you said the number of guys that we know do, doing the business and doing it well mm-hmm. yeah definitely Gary ADM crap at quizzes as you said you know yeah, we see that uh, from the weekend there uh, but the thing as well on the response to the pandemic one thing ICW got a bit of stick from a lot of the media uh, wrestling podcasts and etc about how they handled the speaking out movement you know and I feel like the response they've done in the pandemic to me in a way seems like they seem to have taken things on board but again it's hard to tell because they were we've not heard a great deal amount of them after that movement really came out yeah um, there were try, trying to be balanced with this mm-hmm. there were some companies that responded incredibly quickly and I think their response uh, was not thought through and uh, yeah, so that w- that wasn't great. The other extreme we've seen, and I think ICW fell into this category was silence and that could be that one's waiting to see what unfolds before you then start to respond to it but what looked what it looked like and was construed from the outside was, or from a distance, was you're burying your head in the sand. You're hoping this will go away. You're just trying to be quiet and let it pass. Now I'm sure that wasn't what they were trying to do, edit, but that's how it appeared. And when you start deactivating uh, social media accounts because you've been asked questions about it, that does not help. So a wee bit more transparency is what was needed at the time and a bit more of a growing up dialogue about it is what, what was, I think, missing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, Chris, away from, uh, slightly away from that, that, what Gary mentioned there about growing up dialogue, I mean, a lot of the criticisms that we've touched upon in this show uh, and what some people have touched upon when, as watchers of ICW is that type of the lack of a grown-up dialogue maybe like that type of aspect we mentioned it about the um, show at the Hydro the way they reacted to that and then in a way as well maybe some of the other things they do with the fans the likes of the long waits outside of shows one thing we've touched upon in the past is that show that they ran on Facebook Live infamously where they announced it two hours before the show or something like that that were going free on Facebook when yeah. And changed the start time, Stephen. So the people that paid for their tickets were thought the show was starting an hour earlier. So I end up stood outside in the cold for an extra bloody hour. Yeah, Chris, that type of thing is that type of something that we'd like to maybe see them do better in order to kind of get themselves to the peak of where they were. The thing which has worked really well for ICW is the pandemic. It came at the absolute perfect time for them because. The pandemic meant they didn't have to deal with fan backlash because they've got no fans at the minute. 
it meant that they didn't have to worry about the queues because there's no queues. Didn't have to worry about trying to punt tickets because there's no tickets to punt. I'll be really intrigued to see how the company comes out of this in terms of fans because there's still a lot of people that are not pals with ICW at the moment because of speaking out and everything that's happened before that, regardless of that. Like, I'll, I'll be very curious. To see, I'd love to see the numbers as to what tickets they've sold for the you know the shows that are constantly getting pushed back. Nothing to do with them, obviously. Um, and I'd be very curious to see how many people they're going to get in in their next shows. Because like, part of me thinks there's going to be an element of like, Oh, I just want to get back to some live wrestling. Like, and when this all ha- when this all is over, and it will be over soon, guys. It will be over soon. When this is all over, I'll be curious to see how many people come into that first show back, whether that's at the garage or elsewhere. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's came as a, this this timing of all these bad things happening in the course of 2020 is has been a it's been a massive benefit to ICW is to not have to worry about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, but. Uh... For all those bad, uh, all the things that they've maybe not done wrong, which we've touched upon a lot on the show, I think if you're going to do a show about a company, you need to be balanced on it. I mean, we do shows where we talk great in WWE and slag the rotten stuff to do the same with AEW. I mean, David Campbell hates AEW's women division. He's very vocal about that. But we need to, we need to take the best, the bad and the, the good together. But to kind of round off the show, I'd kind of like to focus a bit more on the good. And obviously, we've, we've all experienced some great moments in ICW history as fans, you know, and we hopefully want to see them go forward and do a lot more but I'm going to ask each and every one of you personally your favourite wrestler you've enjoyed seeing at ICW your favourite moment and who you would like to see become a breakout star in the company after the pandemic's over and we can start going to shows again I'm going to start with Gary moment it has to be Grado and Drew at the Hydro that was phenomenal loved it every minute of it I thought that was great I mean um Looking forward to uh, gotta give Jason Reed seeing gotta give Jason Reed a shout out there. And, and his quest uh, for fifty five. Yeah. Sorry, absolutely. It's the gimmick. Uh, absolutely. Uh, other things that I've loved on it, I mean just justice and the sheriff uh, uh, coach trip. I mean, some of their work was just phenomenal. And also, you know, when Polo Promotion Days, the time at the, I think it was at the ABC when Coach nearly fell off the stage through that sort of hole at the side. <laughs> <He did that. laughs> For them all. So uh, I, I am, I, I'm probably in that camp of folk that are looking forward to being able to go to live wrestling again. I hope that uh, some of the stuff we were talking about earlier on about how you treat your fans and build a connection with your fans and if you're part of the movement are things they they take on board with them. So if you buy a season ticket, you get sent your tickets. Uh, if you advertise a start time, you start at that time. If doors open at a certain time, don't leave people standing outside. Uh, you know. Uh, treat your fans better if you're paying for VIP experiences you shouldn't be held in, uh, outside whilst you throw them together so I hope they uh, take some of those things forward but ICW's got some great talent as well and there's some people there that they should absolutely pull the trigger on as well and I look forward to seeing some of that stuff that, that comes next absolutely. I'll always be thankful for ICW because it gave us um a scene that we never had here in Scotland. They gave us a fantastic wrestling scene. They gave us some amazing events and some amazing moments, you know, like Drew's comeback and things like that stuff that will never ever be done again. And also things that, that we have done is get friends in the podcast as well, you know, gives us an opportunity for all of us to catch up 
see each other and have a beer and just you know enjoy each enjoy each other's company most of the time except for enjoying Stephen's company um, but other than that you know it's it's I'll always be thankful for ICW for what they've done some of the moments that they've gave us as well like Gary said the um, the Drew Grado match um, Drew coming back actually getting us to see some of these fantastic wrestlers that a lot of people might not have seen before um, as well like Kurt Angle you know Rey Mysterio you know and stuff like that and also developing Scottish talent as well it's been it's brilliant um, so I'll always be I'll always be thankful to them for, for giving us that as well mm-hmm. uh, Stacey what about you? Right so it's moment wrestler and who to bring up. Yeah. Yeah. So I think moments would be um, when Liam Thompson got his sink back in uh, the <laughs> good housekeeping matches, or just any of the good housekeeping matches, really. As was said, Polo Promotions is coming together. Um, but as well, seeing um, Just Justice coming out as well. And then it was quite interesting to see Jackie Polo's new new character, yeah, Jackson. So we haven't really got to see uh, much of that. So I'm looking forward to seeing what that what happens with that. Another thing that I was just reminded of um, was the whole um, was like the Jackie Polo Lionheart series. That was good as well. Um, That was some great pod banter for that series. It really was. It really was. and I'm just looking forward to seeing all the new talent coming up as well, you know, giving that a wee bit of a fresh flavour as well and seeing seeing what way ICW is going to go in the future mm-hmm. with that. Uh, Chris, what about you? I think um, moment is very, very difficult. I, I've got two. <laughs> I think that... Okay, we'll we'll do we'll do wrestler first because my I had my favourite wrestler from the night I started watching it, and that was Jack Jester. I uh, on that on that first feed and loathing that I watched, he wasn't meant to be there because he was meant to be going to do a deathmatch tournament in Germany. I'm t- probably telling this story horribly because it was like eight nine years ago. So he turns up at the Classic Grand that night. He beats up I think Jamie Fiedek and he does a promo on how much he hates. EasyJet or something like that and I was like this guy's awesome and the build from there to him winning the belt at the ABC I loved it and I remember going absolutely mental that night once he hit the peak of ICW could no longer you know be my favorite guy and I think pretty much from that night is when I fell in love with Joe Coffey it was so cool seeing a guy basically work his way all the way up the card like he was in the opening match of my first ICW show in a tag match with his brother going through to you know, winning the belt, losing the belt immediately, winning the square goal, and then winning the belt again—it was just—it uh, was such a cool period to watch him. And then I think he carried the belt in a really important time for the company as well. So that's my cop out to favorite wrestler answer. Um, favorite moment—I think that the Grado Chris Renfrew match at the Battlelands on oh, whatever event that was, because I don't remember what name. Um, the even though. Chris Renfrew was a bad guy. I think that that whole match was like my favourite thing I've ever seen. Um, but the the storyline and the finish to the power struggle at Hydro One, I always think is the best storyline they've ever done. Mm-hmm. And uh, the last thing, the wrestler, I, I don't have like an up and coming wrestler as such because I've not developed that 
a good relationship with the new guys that they've had coming in in the last three years. I've got one wrestler for each division which I would like to see step forward if that's right. an acceptable answer. I would like... Go for it. Well, Go for it. well, a question to you guys first of all, is there any return from Abel going to happen? Because you know how she was injured and then... No, there was, I, I'm, not sure, I'm, I'm not heard much about that. I know she was... There was talk that she was done by the injury. Yeah. If I can't have Avel, I would like to see more of Isla Dawn. I think that she's been a star in NXT UK and I've always loved her in ICW. I think she's got an amazing character and I think she um, should have the belt at some point. I've always loved uh, Yeston Reese as a singles wrestler in ICW. I think that he was more than qualified enough to be the main guy in ICW. I think he's got the physique and he's got the character for it. And um, in terms of tag wrestlers, I would like to see the Kings of the North hold the tag belts. So, and up and coming stars in a Glasgow company, I would like to see more of the Irish, more of the Welsh, and more of the lady who I think is Italian. <laughs> great, great stuff, great stuff. Uh, um, I just thought of one person who I'd like to see come back as well yeah. Martina I think I think we need more Martina in she's going to be massive she's in Ring of Honor I think, I think she's going to go back I think she's getting back to the States for Ring of Honor she'll be massive her and Joe Hendry are going to be massive in the States from that yeah. company I think I didn't see enough of Martina in ICW I think I think we mucked up a yeah. big, big style in her uh, from myself i got to go with Grado love the boy you know as much as his comeback has been crap I thought his original run was amazing um, moments I would got to go with either Grado's title win or the four-way King of Insanity match Ooh, even though choice. three of the guys in the match are quite iffy subjects right now but <laughs> Stevie Boy's on Stevie Boy's sound uh, he won the match um, um, up and coming up and coming stars I can't not mention ADM because I think he might come to my house and kill me again <laughs> <laughs> Please ADM. <laughs> My prayers have been answered. <laughs> I gotta mention, I gotta mention him. Uh, Gary mentioned Jason Reed. Well, people will say, oh, of course he's going to say Jason Reed, but I think the gimmick's brilliant. I think the gimmick's absolutely class. Uh, and I can't not mention the nine nine. Of course, nine nine. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, Jack Morris and Dickie Divers. I know Chris mentioned Dickie Divers has been about for ages. Remember when Dickie Divers were a square goal? We posted about it on Instagram the other day and, and all the memories came flooding back and I think it, the the match he had with Chris Renfrew later for the briefcase as well was phenomenal as well. Um, yeah, he's, he's one of the guys that's been about since pretty much day one as well. The old SDI tag team as well. Oh, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant gimmick, brilliant show. You know, but enough. You can talk about that all day, but I think with that, we've... Uh, wrapped up our show on the history of ICW we've done our best to kind of go through the good the bad and the ugly no comments please on the ugly I know somebody's going to mention it uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I hope you've enjoyed listening back to that and say it's your first time listening to us on the podcast then where have you been we've been about for over three years and we have a fantastic back catalogue of shows around about everything ICW WWE AEW Huge Japan Pro Wrestling we've got everything on the back catalogue so you can subscribe to us we're on any good podcasting platform be it the one that you're listening to us on right now obviously or any other one find us all in there 
Uh, we're also on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, where we discuss anything wrestling, you know. If you want to talk about wrestling, we're all on there. And you can also find us on YouTube. We've got some great video content on there. Uh, you might see some people do quizzes just there at the weekend. That's no, a good Royal Rumble quiz. Uh, Gary's on that quiz. Well, whether he does well or not, you have to watch and find out. You know, uh, see if you can defeat Scott. You know, we'd love to see someone defeat Scott. Sorry, Scott, you win all the quizzes. Uh, and we've also got the, the Book It tournament, which I was on, Scott was on. You know, uh, six other guys were on that as well. We'll be trying to book fantasy book under the tutelage of David Campbell. What an experience that is. Find that on YouTube. We should just rename. We should just rename YouTube the David Campbell channel. He's always never laugh it. That one doesn't see that is David Campbell. Absolutely. So, but so much great shows on the podcast network. Say next week on the feature slot, which comes out every Tuesday, we've got our latest look back at an old NXT Takeover show. We look back at NXT Takeover Rival, the show that featured the always to date match between all the four members of the Horsewomen. So definitely check us out on that. We've also got coming up this month a look back at the Legion of Doom, which will be hosted by Derek, and a look at the What a Rush. <laughs> and we'll be doing our NXT Mount Rushmore so you can find us on that we've also got ESSR Central which comes out every Thursday look at the week's use and Saturday Draft Live which comes out every week to pretty much talk about our own fantasy draft series latest season finished yesterday so you can see who won that league if you go back and listen to us on our back catalogue but until then I would like to thank my panel first of all Derek thank you very much no, Stevie, good show. The Gary, thank you. Thank you, Stevie. It's been nice to have this wander back through ICW's history and remind us of some things, um, some of the great moments and some of the things we've probably forgot about along the way. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, to Chris, thank you. Thanks, Stephen. It's been a fun, yeah, wander back through ICW's past and, and for everything I've said on this show, don't get me wrong, ICW's future is so, so promising as well. Can't wait to get back to that Gonzo show at some point. They were really, really fun. Um, and I hope everyone is enjoying their current run on the WWE Network. What a strange sentence to say. Oh, they didn't even get in touch upon that. We're on the WWE Network. It's mental. <laughs> mental. Well done to them, actually. And that's a great achievement, to be fair, for all the wrestlers involved. But, uh, and Stacey, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Stephen, and thank you very much, everyone else that's on the panel as well. It's been good to have be on the, my first show back with all years, and hopefully we'll see you at uh, an ICW show soon. Hopefully we'll see. Hopefully yeah, see you before that, but yeah. <laughs> see something on the yeah. inside of our bedroom walls, you know, on our living rooms. It's been an absolute uh, hell of a time, but hopefully yeah. we'll be out of it soon. But for me, I've been Stephen Wilson. Keep safe, and we'll see you next time.